Welcome back to the Red Dice Diaries. I'm your host, John. It's been a while since I've done a voicemail episode, so I've got a couple of old voicemails that I've had for quite some time. Apologies to the people who left those that I'm going to try and reply to now. I've also got a couple of more recent ones that I'm going to reply to, and we'll get to that straight after the music. And our first call is from the Pink Phantom. Take it away. I uh, really enjoyed your episode on adding skills to OD&D. Uh, I've always thought an interesting idea for, for OD&D in particular, since they have sort of a, a kind of basic skills uh, system kind of built in, rolling that D6 and getting a one or a one or a two, depending on, on what you're trying to do, would be to just have the thief get a second D6. So, you know, when he's listening in a door, he rolls two D6. If there's a success on either one, that's a success. Or or, you know, moving silently, picking pockets, whatever, whatever sort of thief skills you want to have available to them based on what the DM, because this, this gives the DM, you know, that same sort of rulings opportunity to say, okay, yeah, this is where thief being a thief applies and even has the potential to expand to, to other classes. If, uh, if there's some sort of a cult, doing some kind of ritual that made the cleric can roll to, to try to figure out what it is, or if they run across some runes or sigils on a, on a wall or on a floor, maybe the magic user can figure out what it is. Maybe the fighter can, can diagnose an enemy an enemy's uh, combat tactics or what they're trying to achieve or something like that. Just thought I'd chip that in. Thanks very much. Greatly appreciated. Yeah. I think that sounds like a, a reasonable compromise and a way to do it. Uh, as I've said before, one of my favourite sort of OSR-style games is Castles and Crusades, where it has a skill system in it, but effectively if you're, the skill that you're trying to do, the task that you're trying to do, uh, applies to your class, so it's something you'd be good at, like, as you said, a rogue trying to pick a lock, or a wizard trying to unravel a dastardly ceremony, then you get to add your class level to it, as well as whatever attribute bonuses you've got, and you're trying to hit a target number in that game, and that really sort of reinforces the idea that as the characters go up in level, the class you've taken, the sort of speciality you have, if you will, really starts to pay off. Everyone sort of starts off at the same sort of level, can each adding one for like a character level doesn't really make a great deal of difference but when that rogue gets to like fifth sixth seventh or above levels and you sort of start adding that level modifier in it really starts to pay off and i think the rogue's been a, a very discussed sort of part of the osr game because as you rightly say it was the the sort of first attempt to like i suppose graft on a sort of ad hoc like skill system albeit just related to certain sort of dungeony or rogue activities but yeah i think your manner of doing this would be a great compromise if you wanted to bring in a little bit of sort of a skill system without having a whole massive system to bolt onto it and you wanted to keep it simple so thank you very much for suggesting that it's greatly appreciated our next call is from randy over at the biggest geekers podcast if you've not listened to that i highly recommend it take it away randy been a long time. I uh, love your skills episode. I am a fan of skills in OSR games. FMAG is a good game. I love White Box. I found a new love for those old games, but I think they need a little bit more. I like your idea. I'm just like you. I think 
third edition got it right with the roll high. I am ascending armor class guy. No interest in Thaco. I can do the math. Always have been able to. Heck, I teach math. It's not an issue. Yeah, I feel the same about uh, Thaco, to be honest, uh, Randy. Like you say, the math's not hard. I don't make any claims to be great at math, but it's not exactly difficult, is it? However, to me, sort of getting a higher roll, being better, just feels a little bit more intuitive to me. And it certainly seems that players, well, most of the players I've had, seem to sort of find it more intuitive to do that. But like you say, if people love Thaco, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Different strokes for different folks. But uh, I really do like some sort of skills. But like you, I don't want it overbearing. I don't want too much. I'm working on my own game, and I have an idea for skills that I think might be interesting. But it is a roll under. That's kind of just a fascination holdover. I'm with you. Roll high is better. Who knows? Maybe I'll change it. But uh, good episode. Keep up the good work. Take care, man. Hey, say hi to Hannah. Haven't heard from her in a long time. Bye. Thanks very much, Randy. I'm glad you enjoyed the skills episode. Hopefully, at some point, I mean, I'm doing a new job at the moment, and my, my, I'm struggling to find the free time to actually fit in running my games, never mind recording podcast episodes and stuff like that. But hopefully, things will settle down at some point that I can get back to a bit of a more regular schedule, assuming I've got anything to say, that is. But thank you very much. Yeah, I'll pass on your regards to Hannah. Obviously, you left your message before she put up a review of the D&D movie. But again, we're sort of gearing up for LARP season at the moment. So three times at a bit of a premium. But hopefully we can get back to doing some joint episodes soon. And I look forward to seeing when you release it or when it becomes available, your game and what your approach to skills is. So thank you very much. And our next call is from the man, the legend, Jason, over at Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Go ahead, Jason. Hey, John. Jason here. Listen to the Tyranny of Dice. Yep. Easy D6 is pretty neat. I've not run it or played it. I've read it. I like what I've read. I, I like the luck die, the luck dice thing that DM Scotty sells. It's slightly different than what's in there, but he has a little pamphlet he sells you can buy for like two bucks. And where you can adapt the luck dice to any game. And I like D6s too. I mean, Barbarians of Lemuria, one of my favorite games, is all D6s, right? Yeah, I'm a big fan of the Easy D6 games. I'm sure you've guessed. I'm using it to run the the sort of Wild West fantasy archaeotech mashup that I'm doing at the moment as a campaign, and that seems to be working pretty well. There's a, a few things I've like house-ruled or I've changed or stuff like that, or like I've added in a few optional rules where the, the game maybe doesn't cover things that I want to have in this game, you know, like things like purchasing equipment and stuff like that, which is very sort of hand-waved in it, which is absolutely fine, and it's a great system for one-shots and for conventions and stuff like that. And having just D6 being used is makes it very low entry, because everyone's got some D6s knocking around in board games and stuff like that, which isn't such a problem when I'm running most of my games online, because, as you know, some of my players are in different countries and far around the UK and stuff like that, so it's not possible for us to get together. But when I'm going to be taking it to a convention, it's great just to be able to shove a big old bag of cheap D6 into my uh, rucksack and not have to worry about taking loads of stuff. I just have to have a small book and some D6s, and maybe a few tokens if I want, although those aren't really necessary. But, yeah, I'm finding it a really enjoyable game at the moment. Um. I'm actually looking at running a luchador game like the El Santo movies, El Santo and Blue Demon movies where you're fighting demons part of the, or you're fighting 
bad guys part of the time doing a mystery and then you're in the ring doing wrestling the other part i've got to say jason although i'm sort of uh, peripherally aware of the films that you've mentioned it's not really a genre i've looked into particularly maybe i'll have to give that a look when i get some time and honestly the two systems that are built to do that are hero system which uses d6 or um unisystem which uses d10s we may go with hero system because lucha libre hero comes with the cut down version of the rules and it's got everything you need in there so i don't know but yeah, D6s are cool. No issues there. Plus, you can run your Star Wars game. Your, um, I forget what it's called now, but that that updated D6 Star Wars game that you talked about a while back. So keep up the great work, and I will talk to you soon. Thanks very much for the call, Jason. Always appreciate getting a call from yourself. And yet those game ideas you're talking about sound really cool. And I've got to admit, I hadn't considered that, yeah, I could run my my Star Wars game as well. And I, all I'd need were the D6s and the stuff that I've already got in my rucksack for Easy D6. So that is another big tick in the plus column for me. So thank you for bringing that to my somewhat short-termly impaired memory. Thanks again, dude, and I'll catch you soon. Our next call is from Ricardo Giro, and I apologize if I've mispronounced your name, but please go ahead. Hey, John, Ricardo here. Uh, sometimes I post as Shiropatos, but nearly not as much as I should, to be honest. No need to apologize. I know that feeling well of thinking, oh, yeah, I really need to post like my latest Dungeon 23. I need to put up some podcast episodes or a YouTube video or even just like take more part in the sort of discord communities or online communities that i'm in but sometimes you just can't find the time you know you just got to do the best that you can do and if you can't manage to post as much as you want sometimes you just have to accept that's just how things go anyway please go ahead <laughs> anyways i was li- i was listening to the latest episode of, of of your podcast um with the other speakers and and the things you you talked about all really clicked right I'm talking from a viewpoint of someone with far less experience playing and running TTRPGs of any kind. I've played, or I've run, I guess, a lot of um, 5e back when it came out. Not the bloated mess that it is right now, but now I don't think I could run it anymore because of all the stuff that's that's attached to it and all the, the attitudes that most players have. Yes, it is an unfortunate thing that happens with a lot of uh, tabletop RPGs, not just uh, 5th edition, that as the editions go along, they tend to become a little bit more bloated and a little less streamlined than they are at the very start. Uh, I've recently been looking at a game called Bugbears and Borderlands, which is essentially someone trying to take... Uh, a simplified version of 5th edition and sort of reimagine it in the style that Mulvey did for the original old D&D and sort of create like a beginner's or a simplified version and I'm very much enjoying that because it gets rid of a lot of that system bloat and streamlines things down a bit. So I might think about running that in the future at some point. That that usually play the game, but that's talk for another time. Um, something you talked about was that some games don't have really good like GM advice, and I think some games don't even justify or, or clearly explain some of the underlying mechanics of the game itself. Uh, one example I have is a game called Karen, which I love, uh, but the game says that the character advancement is diegetic, right? And, and it leaves it at that. And what that means is that the, the, the characters advance in story, in fiction, but you don't get like 
more strength or intelligence or whatever and and that was super weird to me and it's and it, it took me quite a few time like quite a few months to put that in my head yeah i think that can be a danger when someone's writing a system because obviously the person who was writing the system knows exactly what they mean they've been in that sort of headspace of doing that system for so long and sometimes it can be and i've had this myself when i'm writing sometimes it can become easy to lose sight of the fact that anyone coming into that system cold won't have all the background knowledge and all the benefits of the stuff that you have in your head so it needs to be explained in a little more detail and i think it can be quite easy to lose sight of that unfortunately also one other thing is that i totally agree that you gain experience from experience from playing the game uh, but that's sometimes hard because for example i live in a small city in a small country in europe that doesn't really have a long long lasting uh tradition with ttrpgs and so the, the most what, what most people think of as a ttrpg is dnd 5e new people that look for rpgs are going to be uh taken by 5e basically I've successfully run a few games for some people that weren't really interested or had never thought about RPGs using something like Sailors on the Star with C for uh, the Dofunnel for DCC and it was super successful. But I really struggle with the what do we do now? Like setting up a campaign because I've never done that outside of published material for 5e. <coughs> Excuse me. I've thought of using basic fantasy RPG or maybe just reading through BX and running the old, you know, into the unknown, keep on the border and stuff like that. Um, but I, I would like an opinion, like, when you try to bring people that are new to the hobby, and, you know, you, you manage to entice them with the kind of gameplay of, like, using what's in your backpack and your, your creativity as a player, what do you do next? Like, how can I, you know, convince them to stay, kind of? <laughs> Thanks. I think you make a valid point there. If someone is new to TTRPGs, it can be sometimes difficult to sort of get across why we have such enthusiasm for the hobby. Now, when it comes to initially getting people into TTRPGs, I found one thing that can be useful is to use a, a property or a, a world that they're familiar with. So I've done this with Star Wars and things like that, because if people aren't into TTRPGs, they've probably heard of Star Wars and they at least know the basics of it. So they can sort of work out what sort of things they can do in the, the Star Wars framework, and that just makes one less barrier for them actually getting into the game. And once they've you've used that Star Wars or whatever as an on-ramp and they're into TTRPGs and they know a little bit about how TTRPGs work, then maybe I broach sort of um, something that's less well-known and see if they fancy that, and hopefully they've got the grounding to be able to go on to other games. In terms of what you do next once you've got someone into TTRPGs, and I know this sounds like a bit of a, a cop-out answer, so I do apologise for that, but I find one of the simplest things to do is just to ask the players. And what I tried to do is I tried to set up like some form of conflicts in the game, but also ask the players about what sort of things they'd be interested in. So, for instance, I had in my recent campaign, um, we normally do like the session zero, and they're not mandatory by any means, but I just find a session zero where you sit down and you talk about how the game's going to go. It really helps you to get an idea of what bits of the game and the background enthuse the player characters. So in my recent campaign, we had 
I mentioned there was going to be like noble families in this weird sort of Wild West fantasy world. And one of the players said he'd be interested in, you know, the, the sort of conflicts between the noble families and potentially crime families fighting it out with each other. So I could instantly just write down like, all oh, right, they're interested in that. So I've got at least one player who's interested in that plot line. So I should probably use it in the game. So that would be my main answer. Speak to the players and find out what sort of thing they're interested in and then bring that into your game in a way that's appropriate for your campaign world and your established genre. And then hopefully that will draw them in. And obviously if you get like two or three players are all like, oh yeah, we'd all be interested in that as well. Then you've already hooked people in and hopefully because their initial interest is in the subject matter, that will then sort of bleed through into them being interested in the game as a whole. Uh, sorry for all the messages, John, but you spoke about some very interesting topics. Uh... No need to apologize. I love getting messages from people and being able to respond to them in little episodes like this. Like I say, I do apologize to everyone who's left messages. I've been a bit slack with putting out episodes uh, recently. As I said earlier in this episode, you know, free time's at a bit of a premium at the minute, but I'm trying to get back on that horse. But no, I love it when people leave messages. The more the merrier as far as I'm concerned. About the whole thing about getting experience, uh, someone someone talked about, you know, you don't have to, to use the whole book. You can just mix and match the rules you want. And that's true, but you also need to, you know, not mess around with the rules um, without first knowing if you should, if they are like a core part of the game, if, if, if messing with those rules or removing them will, will somehow ruin the, the rest of the rule set. And to do that, you need you need a lot of experience, right? You can't just like you or you shouldn't just start messing around with rules just as soon as you start playing the game, which is um, where I'm at right now. That's why I'm thinking of just picking up basic fantasy RPG or actually BX and just running it as it is, like getting against the cult of the reptile god or something, and just finding three or four people and play that. I think you're absolutely right there, and as I said earlier, it can be easy to lose sight of that i mean i've run uh, without without trying to brag or anything i've run like quite a lot of ttrpgs and it's very easy to forget that if you're not as experienced with jamming or running games it can be quite difficult to tweak or alter rules without affecting other parts of the system and even if you have got a lot of experience as a gm there are some sets of rules where they're so closely interlinked that changing one thing can have unforeseen circumstances for other parts of the system it's one of the reasons why i like very simple systems or ones that have sort of separate um, subsystems because i know i can tweak the bits i want without necessarily affecting everything else but you are absolutely correct as far as i'm concerned the the best way to run a system is to get it at first run it as it is and then once you've got a lot of experience with it and you're more confident with how different bits of the system work then maybe you can start tweaking it and as I've said in a few podcasts, I made the mistake recently when we first started our last campaign and we started off with the Worlds Without Number system. That effectively has two uh, tiers of play. There's the normal sort of standard sort of uh, old school D&D level tier of play. And then there's like a heroic fantasy tier of play, which adds a load of extra stuff on. Now, we were quite keen to do some heroic fantasy. So we jumped straight into using the heroic fantasy rules without me being entirely familiar with the basics of the system. And I just found it an absolute slog 
to run that because I wasn't familiar with it all and we were adding lots of extra stuff on. So I'd sort of, I'd try to run before I could walk. And that eventually led to us changing the system to use EasyD6, which is a far simpler system. And I probably will get around to trying words of that number again, but I will start off at the, the sort of basic level, run that for uh, at least probably one or two campaigns until I'm confident with it before I try out the heroic tier stuff again. So even though I've got a lot of experience with running tabletop RPGs, you can still easily make that mistake of trying to run before you can walk. It's It's been tough because some people, like I see people playing 5e being completely miserable, saying that they like the turns take too long, everyone like has to do their 150 damage or, or something. And everyone's on their phones. And then when you introduce them to a game where the, the turns are basically like 10 to 15 seconds, uh, or they can get to that, uh, and people love it, and then like they don't come back. It's it's strange. To, it's it's honestly kind of disheartening <laughs> trying to find players where I'm at because I find so much so many people in in that situation. Thanks. Yes, I think it's one of the unfortunate sort of realities of the hobby that bringing new people in or finding regular players can be quite difficult. And I don't think there's any single one solution to that, unfortunately. I consider myself quite lucky at the moment because I have half a dozen or so regular players that I tend to go to when I'm pitching a new game. And they're normally pretty interested. We've all gamed together quite some time. And it just takes that weight off. But I do remember a period of time when I was constantly looking for new players, advertising in sort of online Facebook groups and forums and stuff like that. Then you get the inevitable player drop-off or people who say they're interested but then can't make loads of sessions. And it can be very disheartening. Unfortunately, as I say, there's no one uh, solution to this problem and all I can really suggest is to sort of keep plugging away and trying to get people interested like it sounds like you're doing at the moment it sounds like you're doing very good work when it comes to that and hopefully at some point you will have you will end up like I'm fortunate enough to have with a sort of stable of uh, re regular players that you can go to and it's part of the reason why I run most of my games online now, because I come from a very small town as well, where the TTRPG sort of following isn't that great. But because I can now run stuff online and I, you've got a whole vast sort of arena of players all around the world that you can potentially pull on, it makes it a lot easier to find players, in my opinion. So there we are. I hope that's been some help to you. So that's it for this episode. Thank you to all of our callers, the Pink Phantom, Randy at Biggest Geekers, Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast, and Ricardo Giro. Thank you very much for your calls, guys. And again, I apologize. It's taken me a while to put out this episode. Hopefully, I'll be able to start putting things out more regularly in the future. But... I've said that a few times and then, you know, work and real life have unfortunately got in the way. But that's just the way things go. You know, you've got to roll with the punches. However, if you're listening to this episode and you'd like to be featured in a future one, then you can get in touch a number of different ways. You can leave us a voicemail message using either Anchor or Spotify for podcasters, as it's now called, 
or you can leave us a voicemail message on SpeakPipe. There'll be links to both of those in the description below. Or if you want, you can send an email, either a text email or with a sound file attached to rddrpgpodcast at gmail.com. I really do enjoy listening to your calls and responding to them in episodes like that. So if you want to get involved, drop us a line. Thank you very much for listening. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. And whatever you're playing out there, whenever you're playing it, take care and have fun. We'll see you soon. Lock or a wizard to unravel.